the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're so glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministry is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer for you today is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God designed you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're going to cover in the first chapter of Philippians, verses 12 through 14. F.B. Meyer wrote, Let us accept our limitations as from the will of God. There is no way to peace or power save in accepting the will of God, making no distinction between what He appoints or permits, but believing that in either we are in contact with the eternal purpose for us. Paul never forgot that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He believed that for every limitation on the earthward side, there would be enlargement on the other and spiritual side. Weakness here added strength there, and being hourly delivered unto the cross, and from the ground the blossoming of endless life. We've been talking about, in Bible study, how God uses the difficulties of life, what his purpose is in the difficulties of life. And we know, based on the word of God and based on our own history, that God uses all things in our lives. And so, therefore, he says in Ephesians that our lives are literally, were literally planned before the foundations of the earth were formed. He planned every move, every instant. And you said, but I've made some really bad moves. I've made some serious failures. I've... I've caused pain. I have made choices. And other people have, have done things to me and caused problems in my life. And how in the world could that be part of God's plan? I didn't say that God planned for you to fail. What I said was that God had a plan for your life. And this is how it works. Don't ask me to explain it because it's as big as God. And he looks out through creation and he says, There's my son. There's my daughter. They will choose this path, and I will use it. They will choose that path, and I will work it for good. Or they will fail here, and I will work it for good. And this person will inflict pain on them, and I will work it for good. And the enemy will attack, and I will work it for good. And all that comes into our lives, God works it for good. In Philippians 1, 6, we talked about the potter and the clay. And I told you that nothing, absolutely nothing is wasted. But every bit of it is worked into the clay. All that life brings us is shaped and molded in us and eventually brings about the revelation of Christ. The truth of our growth is in our ability to know the revelation of Christ in our life. 
We grow by the revelation. Now, revelation is simply this. It is us being exposed to the reign of God. It is us being exposed to the Word become flesh, where we experientially, Paul says it over and over again, that they might experientially enter into it. This is what we call life. That we experience His life. That it becomes more than just writ and word to us. That it becomes flesh and life to us. That is God's desire for us. That we not become theologians of a written word, but theologians and children of the living word. We've been talking about the problems in Bible study. And the other thing that we said was that the problems that come into our life, the enemy tries to use, he tries to shape, he brings them into our lives. God allows it, but he brings them. And in order to shake our faith in God. Well, Paul obviously lived from a different paradigm than that. And as you study Philippians, I've said before, Philippians is one of the prison letters, and obviously because Paul wrote it in prison, you, you begin to think, okay, Paul kind of knew what he was getting into. I'm going to tell you something. Paul never planned to go to prison, okay? He didn't plan to go to prison. What he planned to do was go to Rome. And in Paul's mind, what he thought, he'd always wanted to go to Rome. You see, this Rome was a very strategic place. Paul had been called to the Gentiles. And first of all, before you get the idea that maybe Paul came up with all this in his mind, I'm telling you, God put his desire in Paul's heart. Paul had a desire to go forward to the Gentiles. And here's the thing. He, in, in Paul's thinking, I will go to the center of our world, the Roman world. I will go to the Gentile capital, Rome itself. I will minister my way up there, going from church to church or from fellowship to fellowship, from body to body. I will work my way and I will end in Rome. And from there, I will be able to expose some of the most powerful men in the world to the gospel I'll be able to expose the people to the gospel and the gospel being released in Rome would spread throughout the whole Roman Empire throughout the world sounds fairly strategic doesn't it Paul had a plan he says I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to spread the gospel he said in Romans 1.10 I keep pleading that somehow by God's will I may now at last prosper and come to you and he says in Romans 1.15, So for my part, I am willing and eagerly ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So he's excited at the prospect of planting the seed in Rome and advancing the gospel there. Now, he says that I may prosper. Now, how would you define a prosperous journey? Well, I guarantee you, you won't define it by the way Paul got there. Because God decided to send Paul to Rome through Jerusalem. And how did he get that done? It's an interesting thing how God takes big problems and uses them as buses to transport us into the center of what he has for our lives. But here's what happened. Paul gets to Jerusalem. Everybody told him not to go, but he went anyway. I I believe Paul had had a call in his heart to go there. And Paul goes there and he and some of his associates decide that what they want to do to endear themselves to the Jews, who by the way were battling over the issue of of abiding by the law as Christians, 
The Judaizers were in the middle of it. And he says, what, I, what, we need, what you need to do, Paul, the, the other apostles told him, what you need to do, Paul, listen to us, you need to go and go through the purification ritual at the temple and show the Jews that you're still a Jew at heart. Just go through the purification ritual. And Paul said, you know what? I don't see anything wrong with that. I'll do that. So he and a couple of fellows go up to the temple and they decide to go through the purification ritual, which is about seven days. And at some point in there, somebody looks over there and says, that's Paul. And they get a mob riled up. And they get all of these these Jews are angry at Paul. And they accuse Paul of, number one, preaching against the law and against the temple. And they get a real lather going up. They're ready to kill him. And just as they get ready to kill him, he is rescued by the Romans, of all people. They come in the center of it because they see a big riot. It's reported to them. And they get in there and they grab Paul and they carry him out of there. And in order to protect Paul, they put him in prison. <laughs> it was his protection. He stays there for two Years. He eventually gets transferred to Caesarea. And he is imprisoned for two years, languishing for two years, while they're deciding what they're going to do with him. Because Paul has appealed to Rome. And they can't just dump him off their hands. They're making up their mind. Now, he had hearings before Festus, he had hearings before Felix, and he had a hearing before Herod, none of which got him out of there. And in the end... Herod says, you know, this guy hadn't done anything wrong. He could be free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. And they said, well, he appealed to go to Rome. Let's send him to Rome. So how do you think God's plan is working out so far? Are you ready to get on board with this one? Two years in prison. Well, it gets better. They stick him on a boat. Go to send him off to Rome. And guess what? A furious storm comes up. This huge storm comes up, and they are literally bashed about in this boat. They get shipwrecked. They even end up floating around in the sea, drifting about for two weeks, needing food and water, and they're suffering. And eventually, they land sight of an island, and they decide to beach this thing, or bring this thing close enough into the island so they can swim for their lives, which is what they do. Interesting thing about this, though, during all of this, Paul's quiet confidence and his rest in the Lord attracted the attention of the Roman officer who literally came to him and asked him for advice. And it was the wisdom of God through Paul that rescued the lives of everybody on board. He made a witness in the midst of the obstacle, in the midst of the problem, in the midst of all of that. God used it. So, here's Paul. And unless you think this is a Caribbean beach, it's not. In fact, it's somewhat cold. And they get, they get on shore, and Paul's cold, and he's wet, and he decides, you know what, I think what I'll do is build a fire. And he grabs a bunch of wood, he scrapes it all together, and he says, we'll build a fire to warm ourselves. And he reaches down into the sticks and gets bit by the most poisonous snake on the island. How's the plan going so far? Is it looking good for you? So he ends up shaking the snake off. It doesn't have any ill effects. And the natives are just standing there with their mouths wide open. He said, oh, he must be a god. He must be a god. Everybody swells up and dies when they get bit by this thing. And we're watching. Nothing's happening. And it opens the door for Paul to minister to the natives. 
preach the gospel. And he even got to minister to the head man of the island after he healed his father. Paul had a ministry on the island. Do you think he would have had one if they just stopped there and took off? Probably not. Well, they eventually get to Rome. Everybody goes, Well, guess where they put him when he gets to Rome? They throw him into prison and they have a little bit of a hearing. And in the hearing they say, You know what? This guy hadn't done a thing. He's innocent. We could just let him go. Let's just let him go. The the Jews were not having any of that. They get another squall going, and they are really mad this time. Don't you dare let this man... You don't have any idea what he's done to... On and on, and Paul says, you know, guys, I'm appealing to Caesar. And the Romans said, he's appealed to Caesar. We can't let him go. So they throw him back into imprisonment. But for for him, what they do is they put him in a rented house under guard. They put him in a rented house under imperial guard, which is kind of interesting. You see, Paul is there being in prison there, and and by the way, in terms of this letter, Philippians, the Philippians hadn't heard anything from Paul for quite some time, and they were a little bit concerned, and then they got word that Paul's over in a prison in Rome, and they said, oh my goodness, what's going on with Paul? Poor Paul, they love Paul. So they sent Ephrodites up there to find out, to get the skinny on it, and also to be a companion to Paul. And they send gifts up there to sustain Paul, because they hear that the Romans have him in a rented house. And they, and they want to know two things about Paul. They have two concerns. They want to know, first of all, about his personal welfare, and then secondly, the progress of his ministry. Because they know if he's sitting in a prison, the ministry must be absolutely come to a standstill. And they're really grieved about that. So they send Ephrodites up there and they're trying to figure out what's going on with Paul. And Paul, in the writing of this letter, is trying to be encouraging to them. In fact, there's a, there's a central theme of the letter of Philippians and it's joy. You hear Paul talk about it over and over again. He wants them to be encouraged. Well, you think he has a lot to be joyful for? Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, writing to the Philippians, Now I want you to know and continue to rest assured, brethren, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has actually only served to advance and give renewed impetus to the spreading of the good news, the gospel. Now, Paul had a plan to come to Rome. The Jews had a plan to kill him, and the Romans had another plan. Everybody had a plan based on their perspective, based on their wisdom, based on what they thought was best, right? How did it work? How did that plan work? Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and makes them sure. You see, Paul is God's child, and God has a plan for every one of his children. And it reaches far beyond our ability to see, or know, or understand. But for us, there's a plan. And that plan is to reveal to us His heart and the truth of Christ in us. 
Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking the paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now, He knows from whence He speaks, doesn't He? Because you can see right there that God has put him in the center of the good life, hasn't he? And what a plan God has for him. Can you see it? Every one of us who arrived here today arrived with a plan. It might have been an impulse to show up here tonight, but you came here with plans. You've got plans for, your, for where you're going to go after this, what you're going to do tomorrow, who you're going to see. You've got plans for your, for your job. You've got plans for your marriage. You've got plans for all kinds of things. And my question to you is how good are your plans? Take a little history. How's it worked for you in the past? You know, our biggest obstacle with God is we don't want to surrender our plans or we want affirmation that God's on board with our plans. God wanted Paul in Rome. That was the desire of God's heart. He put it in Paul. Paul had an idea how he was going to get there, didn't he? He got there a whole different way. How good are your plans? You know, I used to love to watch A-Team. Anybody ever watch A-Team? Yeah, yeah. You know, I can't remember the name of the guy that led that thing, but, you know, he always had that line, you know, just when the thing was cranking up, he'd light a cigar and say, I love it when a plant comes together. Well, that seemed to work for him, and I'm going to tell you, that rarely ever worked for me. But you know what? The bottom line is God has a plan. You may have a plan, but you're God's child. And for God's child, God has a plan. The question is, which plan are you going to rest in? Whose plan are you going to rest in? Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. God's plans don't fail. Paul says in verse 12, I want you to know, and that word there is a present tense word, which means I want you to know continuously. I want you to keep it in the forefront of your mind and your knowing. I want you to keep knowing and rest in this, brethren. Which, by the way, he uses that term, and that term is an intimate word used between siblings. He says, to rest assured, brethren, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has actually only served to advance. And when Paul says, has actually only served to advance, he is addressing the negative presumption that the Philippians might have that the ministry has come to a grinding halt. And that's what they they were probably thinking. Paul's in prison, I can't see him doing a lot of evangelizing. I can't see him doing anything for the Lord. He's just got to be sitting there. I know he's just got to be sick. His ministry has come to a dead halt. How good is your plan? And immediately the enemy's accusation is your life is on hold. You're you're absolutely finished. You can't go forward. It's done. How good is your plan? And Paul's addressing it. He's saying, look guys, you're just not seeing this. But not only is my ministry not stopped, it's exploded. He's saying to them, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be because I'm in the plan of God. I'm not resting in my plan, guys. I'm resting in His plan. He says that it only served to advance. 
I want you to look at that word advance. It's a Greek word, prokope, which means nothing to you, but in actuality, the way, it, the way it is used, it was used to describe an army of pioneer woodcutters that would precede the regular army. And whenever they would come to an impassable area or an area too narrow because of the woods and the impenetrable woods around it, this group of pioneer advance would go in and literally clear the area so that the army could march through to an area that was once impenetrable. That's the word he's using. Paul's sufferings removed obstacles, allowing the gospel to be presented in arenas that would otherwise be unreachable. He says, what has happened to me, this imprisonment, has actually only served to advance, give renewed impetus to the spreading of the good news, the gospel. Do you realize... That every obstacle is to be the place where you are affirmed in your faith. Do you realize that? Where we can actually own the truth of who we are, it is supposed to be a place of testimony. Where we stand and declare a higher and greater reality that is not diminished by adversity. That's what obstacles are. It's a place where the glory of God is revealed in a supernatural peace and rest. It's a place where the heavy laden and the overburdened take on the gentle yoke of Christ and are comforted in their union. It's a place where we are nurtured by the Good Shepherd. In the place of difficulty, our souls should be filled and overflowing with the presence, the power, and the Spirit of God within us. Psalm 23.5, I use this at Bible study. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Where? In the place of trouble. In the place of difficulty. In the place of despair. In the place where the world says there's no hope. In the hard place. In the difficult place. In the place of failure. He has prepared a table You see, that is where we know, that is the place where we come to the realization that He is our shepherd. He is our nurture. He is our protection. He is our provision. The Philippians needed to see that for Paul, this was something to rejoice in because he was participating in the great victory that God had made way for. The gospel was advancing into the very heart of Rome. And only God could have put that together, right? Philippians 1.13 So much is this a fact that throughout the whole imperial guard, to all the rest here, my imprisonment has become generally known to be in Christ. That I am a prisoner in His service and for Him. Now here's the thing. Paul is taking the gospel into the very heart of the emperor's palace by virtue of his being imprisoned. The guy was chained to these guys 24-7 all the time. They would not leave him. And they circled in and out every six hours. Every six hours. Now these guys were the roughest and the toughest. And they heard him preach... They heard him preach because Paul was in a situation where he received a great number of people and he preached daily. But more than that, they heard him pray. They watched him 24-7. They were chained to him. Think of it. 
of all of Paul's companions, of all of Paul's relatives, of all of Paul's disciples, of all of Paul's students, of all that Paul ever spent any time with, there is not a single one in the Bible that was closer to him than these influential power brokers of Rome. Now, do you think Paul could have put that together? Only God could have made that plan work. And these guys were carrying the gospel into Caesar's household. Paul is telling the Philippians, listen, I'm not chained to these guys. These men are chained to me. And I'm in Christ. I am in Christ. Christian, we're not chained to circumstances. We're not chained to people. Christ allows them in our lives so that when we are squeezed, they can see the truth that is within us. So that Christ can be revealed. We are prisoners of Christ. When the world and sin seek to enslave us, they always get more than they bargain for because we're never alone. We're in Christ. They think they're capping the gospel. They're spreading the gospel. Do you know the gospel spread quicker in China when they were under an absolute rule not to speak of the Word of God, not to teach the Word of God, not to witness the Word of God, and they were under dire persecution if they even brought it up? You know the gospel spread quicker then than it is now? Because if you try to embrace by embrace capture... The people of Christ, who have you wrapped your arms around? Jesus. Jesus. Thank you for joining us today for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life, moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. To get to know us better, visit us on the web at hislifefellowship.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If this message has blessed you, you can help support this program with your gift to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 781-529, San Antonio, Texas, 78278. And now, before we go, our prayer for you this coming week is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you and that you would remember that wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.